1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28 is our text today. At the very end of this letter from Paul to the believers in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28. A few days ago, I had a conversation with someone who is a Christian, but not from our church. And they were troubled about something, and they called me for help. They told me how over the past year or so, they'd seen others uh, close to them who had claimed to be believers fall away or maybe even throw away their faith. And not only did that that make this friend of mine very sad, discouraged, it also made them troubled for themselves, stirred up fear and anxiety within themselves. Could could that happen to me? Uh, could, Could I give up on Christ? Could I abandon my faith? And I want to, want to say here, if you've ever struggled with those kinds of thoughts, and, and not just the possibility, but the, the fear, the dread that that might happen, you, you're not alone. That's not unusual. Now, it, in fact, some of the first things that I will uh, say to someone like this is, hey, be, be encouraged. It, it may be, may, it may be that your fear is a sign of faith. And what I mean by that is, uh, some, some people who, who really just abandon their faith, just walk away from Jesus, they just don't care anymore. You care. You're, you're, you're concerned about this. You, you don't want to do this. You don't want to lose your faith. You don't want to walk away. That's good, but it's not enough also. It's, it's not enough because just just not wanting to walk away, not wanting to fall away is not going to keep you going long term. It's not going to give you peace. By the end of Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, we've heard him encourage and challenge and admonish these believers, but he does not close by, by putting all the pressure on them as if to say, okay, I've given all these instructions to you. By that time I get back to Thessalonica again, you guys better have this thing down. You better be ship shape in that church. He doesn't do that. He points to confidence in God. And that's what all believers need. Not just the believers who have the tendency maybe to be overconfident, self-confident, and, 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 or the believers that are uh, fearful. Both the overconfident and the not, not confident enough are looking to themselves. When we need to look to God, that's where our confidence lies. That's what all believers need. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 28, the close of this letter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all God's people said, amen. Every chapter of this short letter includes some reference to Christ's coming, Christ's kingdom, and Paul closes with this as well. This has given us our theme for this series and for today's sermon. Here's today's sermon 
In a sentence, living in light of the last day, we trust God to take us all the way. All the way every day, all the way to that day. Living in light of the last day, Christ's return, we trust God to take us all the way. So, uh, looking at these verses, verse 23 is a closing benediction, a blessing, a prayer, so to speak. Verse 24 is the promise that that prayer is based on. And then verses 25 to 28 point to the partnership that we have in our life together with God. Those are our three parts, prayer, promise, and partnership. So here's part one, prayer. May God make us holy, fully devoted to him, and kept for his kingdom. Verse 29, excuse me, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to really get to the heart of this one verse, first we need to understand what Paul is asking for. And then, if we really, again, if we really get into the heart of it, not just understanding it, but we should get to where we want this as well. We, what Paul wants, we want. We want to pray this prayer. We want it. When Paul says it, we want to say, Amen, Lord, make it so. Let it be, Lord, in us. So what does Paul want for these believers? He, it's what he's been talking about through the entirety of chapters 4 and 5. He wants this young church, these new believers, to live distinctively Christian lives, uh, holy, meaning set apart from the world, from the world in rebellion against God, set apart from the world, set apart for God, uh, reserved, dedicated to his service, his calling on their lives. That's holiness. That's the goal he wants them to reach because that's what Paul wants them to reach because that's what God wants for them. We saw in chapter 4, verse 7, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Or earlier in verse 3 of chapter 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, what God wants is for you to be holy. It's that simple. And if you, know what that, if you want to know what that looks like, practically speaking, Again, well, just, you just look over the instructions that Paul has been giving in those, these two chapters. Chapter 4, it was primarily about don't give in to sexual immorality. Instead, demonstrate a brotherly love among the believers. Or chapter 5, and we won't go through all of them, but the paragraph right before this one, things like esteem your leaders highly in love, be at peace among yourselves, don't be in a war of revenge, be patient with each other, seek to do good to one another, listen for how God might be speaking to you through one another. And if you think like, wow, that sounds like the perfect church, that sounds like an impossible goal. Well, absolutely, it is an impossible goal, humanly speaking. It is humanly impossible to just get all of that down, to nail all of that as a church. But in this benediction, this prayer, Paul reminds us ultimately that the Christian life and the life of the Christian community is not a self-improvement project. It's God's project. It's God's project, not ours. He, he's the one that's going to get the work done. So a lot of times we think very 
individually, very atomistically, we're just, I'm just one person out here and I'm trying to be a better Christian. That's good. I want, oftentimes when I word my sermons and the points in the outline, I'm, I'm using the word you in a very particular way because I'm trying to get you to feel your responsibility for you to act, for you to change, for you to consider where do I, wh- what's wrong with me? What, what does God want to do in, with me? How does God want to make me who he wants me to be? But there is a but there's an us here as well that we really have to make sure we understand. And this is something that God wants not just to change you. You're, it's not just that you're his project. We, as his people, and as, as people that are part of a larger people around the world and through history, this is his project, a people for the sake of his name, the bride of Christ, not understanding as you the bride of Christ, you the bride of No, us the bride of Christ. This is his project. This is his holiness project that Ephesians uh, 5 says he's just like he's making his bride, all of us, his church, his people, pure and spotless to be able to present to himself this holy and beautiful relationship. Now, this is God's project. May the God of peace himself sanctify you, all of us, completely. And then then he repeats that same idea, completely, your whole spirit and soul and body. So all part of every part of you. That's really what he's getting at here. Now, as I see it, there's a couple of implications from just this part of his blessing, completely whole spirit, soul, and body. And the first implication here is that God wants you to be fully devoted to him. Holy, H-O-L-Y, Holy, 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 W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, H-O-L-Y. Um, fully devoted. He won't, he won't settle for part of you. He's not okay with just having most of you. He wants all of you. And, and, and isn't that what we should want? I mean, it, it's the, it's the not, not really excited Christian, not really committed Christians. Like, well, I'll, you know, God, I'll give you this. How about, would you be happy with this part of me? Okay, I'll give you a little bit more. Don't we want him to don't we want him to want all of us? Flip that flip that around. If God said, "Well, I'd like this and this and this, but I don't want this and this." Now there are things he says, "I don't want that." But there are the things that you don't you shouldn't want either in your life. He wants all of you. That's a good thing. We should want to be all his. He won't settle for uh, just having your good behavior. Yeah, just, just go through all the, the, the good deeds kinds of things. Um, that, that's all I'm concerned with. No, he wants your heart. He wants your mind. But you flip that around. He did, he's not content with, well, I just have, I, have I, I like to read about theology. Or like to, I, feel, I feel so good when I sing the praise songs. And, but you walk out of here and you live not consistently with his word. He's like, no, nope, I don't want that either. I, don't want, I just don't want the, the insides of you, but not the outsides of you. I want inside, outside. I want all of you. And that's what we should want. Psalm 86, 11, David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Or maybe you're familiar with the NIV. Give me an undivided heart. I don't, I don't want my heart to be in pieces. I want my heart to be completely yours. 
So if that's the first implication of, of this idea here of being complete, sanctified completely, whole, your whole spirit and soul and body, that, that God doesn't want any half-hearted, lukewarm Christians, I think the second implication here is that we're all a work in progress. Because <laughs> it, it's like, wait, I pray, now, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. You're not there yet. You, newsflash, you have not arrived. Not as a Christian, probably not, not in any other way either. Uh, you haven't, nobody else has, you can't, nobody that you, lest you think, well, I know I haven't arrived, but you, you have somebody that you look up to. You look around maybe in this room, uh, somebody that you really admire, appreciate, respect, somebody that may be a, a favorite author or speaker. They have not arrived. They are not perfect. It's, it's, it's maybe what you see, it looks pretty good on a Sunday morning or on the screen, but that's not the, the whole picture. We're all in process. We're all God's project. Uh, somebody may be further along than you. You, might, you probably have something to learn from somebody else. Uh, we all do, but we're all people in, in process, and God's not finished with any of us yet. You can, you can take that negatively and say, well, come on, God, why, why haven't you finished working on me? Why haven't you fixed this part of me? Or, God's not finished with you yet, you can take that positively. When I look at myself, and I'm discouraged, and I feel like, I, I, I can just, I, I need to remember, hey, God's not finished with me yet. That, that, can, that can be an encouragement, right? Uh, or as the hymn writer John Newton said it, I love, he's, he's always quotable, but this is one of the great ones. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, if, if, that's, if, you, if that's your story, then you got something. And that's what, you know, to, to my friend earlier, who's like, ah, oh, what if I... What if I fall away, or what if, what if God's if my faith's not strong enough or real enough? You're like, wait a minute, where where has God brought you? Look, look, look you have to, got to look back and see where He's taken you. And yeah, it might not be a a, a, a nice clean line of just. It, there's a, probably ups and downs. There might be some back and forth. But if you can look back and see where God has brought you, not what you, not what I want to be, not what I ought to be, not what I hope to be, but I, not what I used to be. Hey and you got something to thank God for, you also have reason to trust him going forward, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's Hebrews 10.14 says this, for by a single offering, speaking of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, for by a single offering, he, God, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I wonder if you hear the tension there. Through one offering, Jesus' death for our sins, he, God has perfected for all time. He has given us complete, full, holy status, status as holy. We belong to him. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, still in process. Can, can we hold that together, folks? I mean, that's, I know it's hard, but can we live in that space where on, on, we say both of these things at once, in Christ I am fully his. I am completely holy, forgiven, clean, part of the family. I belong to Jesus, 100%. And in Christ, 
God's still working on me. I still got a ways to go. I'm just thankful he's not given up on me. Yeah, that's the thing. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't make sense to you, that tension, I mean, think about it this way. Uh, next month, uh, Katie and I are going to be celebrating 20 years of marriage. And uh, as of July 21st, we, we got a little bit of a late start. That's why I look as old as I do. Um, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the wedding. It's not the marriage. It's just uh, we got a late start. Um, as of July 21st, I will, I will have been fully, completely married for 20 years. But hopefully, I'm still growing as a husband. Hopefully. Katie will tell you, yes, he needs to. There needs to be some growing. I'm, hopefully, I'm still letting go of my selfishness, still learning how to lay down my life. There's still more that I need. 100% married for 20 years, and I still, I got to get more. I got to get, there's got to be some changes. And I pray that that will be the case as long as you both shall live. Not just the promise, but the living into the promise. Not just the identity, not just the covenant, but living into the covenant. That's how you're supposed to do it. That's just like this benediction. Where's where's the finish line? The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's true, you and I may die before that return, and in some sense, that's the finish line. We, we don't finish growing. We don't fin- God does not finish working on us until either Christ returns or we die. The, he doesn't mention the death part because, well, he's back in chapter 4. Even then, even if we die before Christ returns, Christ return. When he comes back, we saw in chapter 4, that will be when we will all be raised in glory. That's the finish. That's when God says, hey, the, the project is done. That's when we're complete. That's when we're whole in spirit and soul and body forever. Until then, the prayer in this verse and earlier is that God will keep us. The Lord bless you and keep you. That he will keep us blameless before him. This here at the end, 5, 23, 24, echoes and really bookends what he said back at the end of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So there's the growing, the progress, the project part. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, with all his holy ones. That's the finish line. That's the, that's the, then we can say, oh, we, we made it. It's done. God's kept us all the way. Both benedictions do the same thing. They get that God, as God continues his work in us, refining us, growing us, he is also establishing us and keeping us for that final day so that we will not, on that day, fear being cast out into final judgment, but, but we can anticipate the joy of being welcomed in, welcomed into his kingdom. So we know, we know that sanctification, being made holy is God's will. It's what he wants. The question is, is that what you want? Is it, he wants all of you. Do you want all of you to be all his? In some sense, yes, that's already taken care of if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus. But there's, there's still, still work to be done to be all his. 
in another sense. Is this your prayer for you? Is this a prayer for our church, for God's people around the world? May God make us holy, fully devoted to him and kept for his kingdom. And that prayer is built on a promise. This is part two. Promise. God's character gives us confidence that he will complete his work in us. God's character gives us confidence that he will complete his work in us. It's just verse 24. The one who calls you, he who calls you, is faithful, he will surely do it. Simple, right? Now, God being called faithful may not seem too amazing. Not much of a big big deal. I mean, it's nice, of course. I mean, it's a good thing. It's a little ho-hum. I mean, we think of faithful as, well, loyal to a friend or uh, true to your word, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, good, but not too sexy. You know, it's just like, it's not like, it's not going to really grab your attention. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's good. It's nice. God is faithful, sure. But, you know, it's not like sovereign or omnipotent, almighty, omniscient. But, but think about, folks, when, when faithfulness really matters. We're thinking about not, not just when you, you call, you say, oh, my, my golden lab, faithful, loyal, or my 20-year-old Toyota Camry, reliable, snooze. But think about when faithfulness really matters. Think about when you're putting your life savings somewhere. You want that bank, that broker, somebody that, like, you, you know, you know you're holding my life here. They got to be trustworthy. They got to be faithful. They got to be reliable. They got to be dependable. You, you know, when you're ready, when you're, when they're getting ready to put, give you the anesthesia, and they're going to wheel you in, and somebody is going to cut you open, and somebody is going to try to fix your heart so that it keeps pumping. You want them to be faithful, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, somebody who can, you can, your life depends on it. Folks, to know that God is faithful, that you can not just trust him that he's telling you the truth, but you can entrust your life, everything that has any value to you at all, you can entrust him with that, and he will be absolutely rock-solid faithful. That's why Prudential Company, you, know, you can see this carved in the Prudential Building in Chicago. If you're sitting in Millennium Park, you look up the Prudential Building, get a piece of the rock, the rock of Gibraltar. That was their, that's their symbol, their logo, because like this, you want something strong, you want something firm, something unshakable, unmovable? Well, that, that's what they want their company to be identified with in your mind. But the rock we have is not Prudential, and it's not the rock of Gibraltar. Is the Lord God who is our rock, our fortress, our strength. God is faithful, and faithfulness matters. He who calls you is faithful. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. When he starts a project, he finishes it. You remember this, right, from Philippians 
uh, 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, there it is right there, the same stuff. Sure, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, bring it to completion when? At the day of Jesus Christ. How can Paul be so sure that, that God will finish the work he began? Well, it's, it's in his character. It's who he is. He is faithful. The one who calls you, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Another description of his character in the previous verse, which we didn't comment on, I didn't say anything about it earlier. Now may the God of peace himself. And it was like, well, what? why the God of peace? Why not the God of truth or the God of something else? Um, might be a link to the previous paragraph when Paul said, be at peace among yourselves. So if maybe you're, you're not sure if you have it in you to, to do the work, uh, the hard work of reconciliation, either humbling yourself and going to somebody and saying, I, I've been wrong. I've hurt you. Would you please forgive me? Or, or maybe the hard work of forgiving someone who comes to you and asks for forgiveness. Maybe you don't have it in you to bring about the peace that God wants for his people. Well, we have the God of peace, do we not? Who is at work among his people? Uh, you're never going to be able to do this project on yourself. Now, again, not just your self-improvement project, not just your spiritual holiness project, but the, the holiness project that is the life of God's people. You don't, you're not going to have it in you. But we do have the God of peace. Maybe that's the link that, that Paul is thinking of, the reason why he mentions God of peace. Maybe it links all the way back to the beginning of the letter because where Paul says at the outset, grace to you and peace. And here, God of peace, and at the very last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why he picked this characteristic to highlight at this point, but I know this. He's telling us that God's character gives us confidence that he will complete his work in us. Now, I hope that that just lifts some of the pressure on you. I hope that can that can ease some of perhaps your anxiety about, about your, where you stand with God, your spiritual life. Now, maybe you're out there and you're saying, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those people that are always worked up, worried, anxious, neurotic, whatever about my spiritual. I've got other problems. I'm thinking about, you know, health problems, money problems, family problems. You know, those are, those are a bigger deal to me. Now, with all due respect, most of the things we worry about are really not significant in the bigger picture. I mean, I know, I know they can hurt. I know that it really is hard, can be really hard. But a lot of things we worry about are not significant in the bigger picture. And when, when the thing that really matters for eternity are questions of who am I and where do I stand with God? Those, those are the big issues. And, when you, and then once you recognize that, who am I really? Not, not please, not the, not the question of who am I? Am I more, you know, uh, you know uh, athletic or am I more a book person? No. Am I more of an outdoor person? An indoor, not, not that kind of who am I that is the, all the kind of superficial things that we deal about with creating an image on social media or wherever else you exist. But not that kind of who am I, but let, start, start peeling back 
all the stuff, all the, all the external stuff, all the stuff that we put on or put up. Who, who am I, really? When, when, I, when I start to peel that away, who am I? What am I? And, and, if, I'm, and if I'm really something beyond an accident of the universe, where, if there's someone out there who made me, who calls me, where, where do I fit with him? Where do I stand with him? And once you try to deal with those issues, you start to feel the weight of your sin. If there's, if there's any justice in the universe, I am in big trouble. If you start to, start to deal with the issues of your sin and the, the hopelessness that you, ha- that you start to feel when you're like, I can't, I can't make up for the wrongs I've done. I can't, I can't fix what's wrong in me at the deepest levels. You could easily give up in despair. But here's the message of these two verses. When it comes to your relationship with God, your faithfulness, while it is important, while it is imperative, if you're like, hey, I'm a believer, I'm trying to follow God, okay, faithfulness is good. Your faith, your trust in God is good. Your faithfulness, your obedience, your loyalty to the Lord is good. But it's his faithfulness that, that really matters. I mean, that's the whole point of faith. Your, he's faithful. You, your faith is in him because he is faithful. And so you're trusting in him. You're relying on him. You're depending on him. Because he is the one who's got it in him to give you all that you need to make, who, make you who you're supposed to be. Did you follow that? I'm not sure I did. But that it's in him, not in you. We can follow that, right? Home remodeling shows are still around, although they're not, it seemed, we seem to have passed the peak of popularity. Um, you remember the makeover shows and, you know, fixer-upper and stuff like that. And what was the end? The, the end was all the same, though, right? The, the big reveal. I think the one show, they, they had the big semi-truck and they pulled it away. Um, Chip and Johanna, you know, they'd stand on either end of the big picture, the, the, the before picture, like, oh, dump. And then, like, you ready to see your fixer-upper? And they're pulling it away, the big reveal. And, of course, there's, like, oh. You know, it was, it was played up for TV, but, you know, it's, it's, we, we're still suckers for it, right? Oh. Commercial. We'll be right back, and you can see what they saw. You know, oh. You know how this story ends? The big reveal. And, and, and it's not going to be fake. It's not going to be fakey. Like, oh. First John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, how's that for a big reveal? We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Big reveal, Jesus comes. Big reveal, this is what I have made you to be. Here's, here's, what you, here's what you are when I do my work in you, perfecting you forever. If we lack the confidence that we can be complete, could ever be made whole that there's some parts of us maybe, we're, maybe we'll never be whole in our body in this life. Maybe we'll never, never be whole in our soul or spirit. They feel like we've been so scarred, so, so broken, so wounded, maybe in our psyche, in our heart, 
that like, that's, that's never going to be true. I can tell you, one day, in Christ, that will be true. God will finish his project, and you will be complete, whole, spirit, soul, and body. Not just whole so you can enjoy healthiness, but you will be completely his. Holy, W-H-O-L-Y, holy. Complete, fully devoted to him if every part of your being if we lack the confidence that that's gonna, that, that, that could happen, that that's going to happen, could it be because we're, we're not looking at God, but we're looking at us? Of course we will not be confident if we look at ourselves. It, you, it is not going to work. It will not happen. If it's, just, if it's just you doing you and me doing me, we're all fail, failing. We're all coming up short. But if this is God's project, oh man, we got something to look forward to. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, those two verses seem like the, I mean, that's the real crescendo of the, uh, Paul's message. And then he kind of comes down to a few things here that, uh, that uh, he needs to mention before he you know, seals the letter. Um, but, they, but they're important, and they remind us of how we live this life together, this this fully his and still on the way, life with God together. So this is part three, partnership. Until that day, we live by grace in the fellowship of God's family. In these last verses, Paul either addresses them all as brothers or refers to all the brothers, even though he's explicitly talking about their, um, he's, he's not directly talking about their unity or fellowship. I think that's part of his concern as he closes. And mention one last time here, brothers is using this term inclusively, brothers and sisters, using it generically for male and female believers in Christ that are a part of this fellowship. So verse 25, brothers, pray for us. Now, in one sense, this is a very natural thing for him to say right after he's said his own benediction, a sort of prayer. Brothers, pray for us. I mean, we need it too. Um, expressing his own desire, request, that God would complete his work in them. They, how about praying for us in the same way? And this is typical for Paul to do at the end of his letters, usually having to do with his work as a missionary. So one example, Colossians 4, uh, 2 to 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, similar to the pray without ceasing we saw a couple weeks ago, uh, last week. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Very similar request at the end of the book of Ephesians. Here, perhaps in in not really specifying a request, may be implied that they should just pray the same thing for him as he prays for them, that God would complete his work in Paul and his missionary team. Either way, asking for prayer says, hey, I have needs too. It's not just, hey, I'm the missionary. I'm the professional Christian here. Uh, you people, God's still working on you. Um, you, need, you. You really should depend on him. I've got it together. I'm, you know, stand back and watch. No, I've got needs too. 
We're all in this together. We may be farther, some of us may be farther along than others, but we all have needs. We all need God. And so he's saying, will you join me in seeking God together for one another, for our needs? And as you do that, as you pray with and for one another, as we pray together, maybe separately, but back and forth for one another's needs, folks, that's, that's how you strengthen the bonds of fellowship, our partnership in the gospel. Let me keep moving. Verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Well, I think that's clear enough. We'll move on. Um, right? No, you're, you're hoping that I'm going to get you out of this, right? Uh, it, it might take a fellowship a little farther than you intend to go. Um, typically, down through the centuries, this has been understood as something that is uh, culturally uh, appropriate physical expression. Um, of, of the family bond. You know, again, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. So, in our culture, if handshakes and hugs uh, would be more fitting, uh, maybe more fitting than kissing one another on the cheek, you know, in a European way or something like that, um, that's, that's fine. But, it's, but it still points us to something that's very important here. It's clear that it's to be a holy kiss, of course, um, coming on the heels of his clear teaching, again, because they're called to holiness, not sexual immorality, but yes, brotherly love. The church was not to be a place of promiscuous sexual, act- sexual activity, the passion of lust, chapter 4, verse 5, but brotherly love. And doesn't this point to a need that we have, especially in coming out of this uh, season of COVID? There's something really important, not only about physical presence, but appropriate physical contact. That, that's important. We, we need it, apparently. We need it. So, uh, you know, yes, I think Paul's acknowledging through the last chapter in this one, you know, there is inappropriate touch. There is inappropriate contact. You can, you can get in trouble that way. It should be a holy kiss, a holy hug, and sometimes we, you know, make fun of Christian, the Christian side hug kind of thing. It's, it's fine. That works for you. But, um, but let me strongly urge you here that we need to show the pure family love in the body of Christ by connecting with people. And, and a handshake, maybe that's, that's your thing. If you're a hugger, you know, I want to say go for it, but just be careful, you know, just who you're going after. Um, maybe they kind of give, give people some, the space they need. But we do need to engage one another in love. That's the point. So if we're not, if we're, if we're all standoffish, if we're all socially distant, relationally distant, something's missing. So regardless of how you felt about the protocols. I I would like to think that we agree that even if you thought they were necessary, you thought that they were a necessary evil, that they were, they were a necessary thing that we got, okay, we got to get through this and get beyond it. So maybe you were like, I I thought, didn't like this all along. I didn't think it was necessary. That's fine. That's, that's one thing. We should be in agreement that we need to get beyond it. We should be in agreement that we got to come together. And that's going to include some real connection. Carefully, wisely, prudently, in the kind of pure and holy love that God calls his people to do. We need it. It's good for you to give it, good for you to receive it. 
It's good for the family of God. Verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Now, I don't know if Paul was anticipating that maybe the leaders of the church would get the letter, open it up, read it, and like, okay, yeah, we'll just kind of, we'll kind of sum up, you know, for the, for the folks at, at church. I'm not sure. Um, but this simple, specific instruction, Paul not only stresses the importance of everyone hearing the word, but I believe it also implies the way that, that this ministry is going to keep the church as a body unified. This is, we have various activities and studies and fellowship, social kind of uh, gatherings for our church in the course of a month. But this worship service, every Sunday morning, week in, week out, is the one time that we all gather as one body. And one thing that, that must happen is that we come together under God's word. This is our constitution. This is our song, meaning, you know, like if you and your wife have, oh, this is our song. I don't know if people do that anymore. This is, this is our song. This is our constitution. This is our song. This is, this, these are our marching orders. This makes us who we are, and it keeps us in step with one another. It's like, how the family, how's the family going to stay together if we don't, sometimes we sit down together around the table. That's what we're doing. We're gathering to sit down for this meal, this feast, together. In light of this verse, it did cross my mind to read the whole letter to you all at once. I, I, some of you might have thought, well, that's kind of cheating, or you know, maybe you didn't have as much time for sermon prep. I didn't want you to, I don't want you to feel cheated, but we did. We, we have read our way through this passage. It's been, it's been more than two months, but we have read our way through this letter, passage by passage, as we have gathered together. And in, in a world that is divided in so many ways, and in, 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 in churches that can be divided in the same kinds of ways because we have different perspectives and, and convictions politically or socially or economically. We, this has to be what holds us together. It has to be what holds us together and keeps us moving forward. And verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Could read this as, as yet one more benediction. Now may the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It it is that. Expressing Paul's desire that that God would, just just as he gave them his saving grace through the work of Jesus Christ and their faith in him, that he'd also give them the sustaining grace that they would be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saving grace and sustaining grace. I, I think we should hear it that way. But is there room also for the possibility that that's not just now may God himself give you his grace, but may this, may this church be a place of grace, a place where grace abounds as we all live with grace, as we celebrate the gospel, as, we, as, as our relationships are formed on the basis of and, and flourish through the forgiveness that comes through the gospel as we pray together, as we sit under God's word together, as we smile and shake hands and hug and give an encouraging word, perhaps even a word from the Holy Spirit for that other person, that the grace of God found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the grace articulated in the good news of the gospel would be not only what we 
believe, believe and proclaim, but would also form us as a family, be the defining feature of who we are as a people, as a community of believers. And indeed we say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us. Amen. Father, we are asking that you would take your word. As we sang earlier, as we prayed earlier, take this word, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness for your glory. And I pray that we would go today with the confidence of who you are and all you are for us. You've called us, but he who calls us is faithful. And the good work you began, you will complete. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray there would be no one who who came today perhaps fearful, anxious, discouraged about the state of their soul, the, the progress in their life, even as a believer, would go forward today with the joy of knowing you're, you just, you haven't finished yet. Oh, but one day you will. What a day. What a day that will be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.